Welcome to the Old Soul, New Soul Astrology Podcast with Robert Glasscock. Thomas Miller here. We're taking listener questions, and we have a really good one about marriages and children, something that astrology answers frequently. Hi, Thomas. My name is Peter. I'm a big fan of what you do, the podcast with Robert Glasscock. Could you please devote one session with Robert related to marriages and children and everything related to marriages and children, including number of predicted marriages and number of predicted children, quality of marriages, easy, difficult, this kind of information that we can read from natal chart. If you could, this would be great. Thank you. Peter, this is a great question and Doggone it. Robert, I wish I'd known this from you 40 years ago. <laughs> Would you please I'm answer? not going to ask why. <laughs> Would you please answer Peter's question, even though it's too late for Thomas to benefit from it? <laughs> well, thank you, Peter. It is a great question. Ultimately, to answer a question about marriage and children in a horoscope, you're going to look at the entire horoscope. You have to. Certain sun signs are more predisposed to be married than other sun signs. Certain moon signs are more predisposed to be married than other moon signs, and so on. Venus and Mars are important. Venus is the emotional, loving side of marriage. Mars is the physical side of marriage. Not only just sex, but also the ambition levels of a person are shown by Mars and so on. So each planet, you're going to have to read them all, but you begin by looking at the sun and moon signs. In the old days, you will find, Peter, that certain signs are considered fruitful or fertile. Those are the water signs and the earth signs in general. Other signs are considered barren or semi-barren, and those tend to be the air and fire signs. And, of course, that doesn't mean that if you're a Leo or an Aries, you're going to be barren. But these old classifications of signs can begin to help you construct in your mind, Peter, as you look at the whole horoscope from the perspective of marriage and children. Are most of these signs fertile All that means, maybe, is that they have more propensity to be in a relationship, period. Air signs, for example, tend to, I don't want to say flit about, because it's much more important than that. That sounds superficial. But air sign people tend to live in their intellects, so that in relationships, they're looking for intellectual stimulation, maybe above all. But but whether it's above all or just important, the ability to have conversations and to share intellectual interests and outlets becomes important. So you then are going to look at the first house, the rising sign, and the seventh house, because the rising sign really sets the framework for this whole life. And the opposite sign is not just the house of marriage, the seventh house is the the house of the other. So in a very fundamental sense, you're born with a rising sign, which represents you and your whole life, really. And the planet that rules that rising sign is your chart ruler, 
And then you look to the opposite house because the seventh house will tell you how a person views the other with a capital O. And that means everybody in their lives. Now, specifically, it is the closest relationships in our lives, relationships with equals, with people that in our minds are as important as we are or close to it. There's a difference between that kind of relationship and then a friend who falls up in the 11th house. There's a difference between a live-in or marriage relationship and a romance or dating. Romance and dating are the fifth house. But the minute that people move in together or form a one-to-one relationship or get married, then it becomes a seventh house relationship. So you want to see what kind of a sign is on that seventh house. Is it a fertile sign? Is it semi-fertile or semi-fruitful? Is it barren or semi-barren? What planet rules it? Is that planet conducive to marriage by the sign that it is in and the house position that it's in and the aspect it makes? You can literally take the ruler of the ascendant and the ruler of the seventh house and look at the aspect, if any, that they make in the natal chart and get a thumbnail description or insight into whether marriage is going to be easy or hard right off the bat. And then look at the nature of the planets themselves involved. I, for example, have Capricorn rising. Anybody who has Capricorn rising, their work and their career will play a predominant role in their lives, either for good or for ill. So, for example, just because you have Capricorn rising doesn't mean that you're going to be Elon Musk, the richest man in the world. But it does mean that your career or your lack of it, it's either way, depending on the aspects of it, suddenly becomes a primary focus in a person's life. They're people that are caught, they're ambitious, they have great ideas, but they keep, quote unquote, failing for some reason. Nonetheless, their lack of a career or their lack of success can, in that situation, become predominant in the life. And this stuff affects their marriage. So you look to the ruler of the first house, your ascendant, and the ruler of the seventh house, the opposite house, and see if they make a harmonious aspect or a stressful aspect, which again gives you a picture of how they relate to other people. I have a lousy seventh house in some ways. I also have some very good aspects to my seventh house. Um, My ascendant ruler is Capricorn and therefore Saturn. Saturn is on my seventh cusp, exactly. And it squares my sun-moon opposition right away. This is not a great chart for a marriage, certainly not an easy chart. At the same time, I happen to have Venus trine that Saturn and sextile my ascendant. I have Jupiter sextile that Saturn and trine my ascendant. So there is a possibility of relationships in my chart that are lasting. But apparently, in my case... They only last for about four to five years. And that's been my experience. That's about, apparently, that's as long as I want them to last. So then you begin to look at children. And that is the fifth house by in anybody's chart, male or female. The general propensity to have children is shown by the fifth house. And you can get into very specific things. We don't have time to do this today, Peter. But things like, for example, Leo on the fifth cusp, it's the natural placement for it. 
And there usually is a strong desire to have children with Leo in the, the fifth house. But there also can be a problem with Leo in the fifth house, either in terms of childbirth itself or raising a child. Oddly enough, I don't know why, but this is one of the truths. So you begin to look at the different sign indications on the fifth house. And you can also there use the fertile or barren sign, the old classification, to see is this person prone to have children? Do they have a fertile sign on the fifth? If you're dealing with a woman's chart, you also want to look at her fourth house because that's the, if she has more than one child in a woman's chart, her first child is ruled by her fourth house. Her second child is ruled by the next, the sibling from the first child or the sixth house. That's a woman's second child. Her third child is ruled by her eighth house and so on in a man's chart. It's different. His first child is ruled by his fifth house and his second child by the seventh and so on. So there's a lot to this, Peter, but the general approach to it, I think, is looking for harmony and fertility. Now, I can only, I can go back to my own chart. I really, uh, really wanted to have children. I loved children until I got to live with somebody else's children. I learned I was a good father for the, the time that we were together, but I realized from that experience that I would not have been a good father over a lifetime. Well, look at my chart. I have Taurus on the fifth house, which is a, usually a, a strong love of children, but I have Venus and Scorpio, and Scorpio either kills the thing that it rules by house sign and aspects at the same time that it rebirths the symbolism of the houses that it rules. So I have Scorpio, uh, my Venus ruling my fifth house in my 10th house. Ultimately, what really killed my having children was my career, because the truth about me is that I am more interested in my career, which has always been a creative one, a fifth house kind of life, than in marriage or a family, even though I didn't think so when I was younger. I thought you could have it all. And some people can. I can't. And it is the truth. I re I love my work, Peter. And uh, it's very difficult for a mate to put up with, say, a stranger coming into the house at all hours of the day and night for me to go off in a private room with them for two hours. What kind of a mate's going to put up with that, you see? But I'd rather do that than be married and have a family, even though when I was younger, I didn't think that was true. And by the way, this method only works with equal house system. I started out with Placidus, like most astrologers did in my day. It does not, if there are interceptions, it doesn't work. And that's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons that I only use equal houses and have for decades. I think I used Placidus for maybe two years until I learned about equal houses from Linda Goodman, by the way, who learned about it from Lloyd Cope, her teacher in New York. And when I tried it on my own chart, I thought, oops, this is accurate. So I don't know if these give you a, an idea, Peter, of how to begin to approach this. But for example, when you're looking at children, the sexes of children, as we did with Donald Trump's chart, you look at his Donald Trump's fifth house for the indication of his first child and i don't have his chart in front of me right now but you look to see is there a male sign or a female on uh, sign on that that house and what is the ruler of that house the ruler of the sign on the fifth house of children is it a male planet 
or a neutral planet like Mercury, or is it a female planet like Venus or the, or the moon or Neptune? So you're beginning to weigh these male-female indications, and it takes a little thought and effort, and you do that with each house. So by weighing the male and female indicators, you should get the genders of the children correctly. Does this work 100% of the time? No, not my experience. Who knows why? It can be because the time of birth is wrong. It can be that usually it is that I haven't read the chart deeply enough or correctly enough, but it works, I would really guesstimate, about 85% of the time. So it certainly is a valid technique for beginning to explore these different things. And then when you're reading for people, you can absolutely distinguish between their first, second, and third, and fourth child. And so and so, if you start talking about a client's second child in a woman's chart, that's her sixth house, and you mentally place that sixth house on the first child, and now you can read for that particular child from her chart by transits, solar arcs, and so on. So it's the perspective that you're turning the chart to read. If you want to read her first child, you would mentally turn her fourth house on the first cusp. And you would read the sign on the fourth and its planet and its aspects as ruling that particular child's life. So you can look at transits to the planets that rule that child in her chart. And she, under those transits, will have an experience of that child that corresponds to the transits to his or her ruler, if you will. I hope to see how complex this can get, Peter. I hope at least this gives you a start for how to weigh these things. Yeah, this will be a start. And we can cover this in some other episodes, but this is one that I know people will want to take notes on for sure and have to slowly absorb and dissect this. And I have some information that Robert has given me in the past from uh, the planets and signs, male and female. I'll drop that in the show notes for you guys, so you'll have that in there. And then this would be one to definitely go back and listen to a couple of times and take some notes on it. Our show notes have all the information else related to the show, including Robert's link to his own readings, if you would like to contact him and talk to him in person. And there also is our Discord link there for the Discord channel run by Kristen Lawhead and the YouTube channel, which has all the podcasts in its own playlist. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time on the Old Soul, New Soul Astrology Podcast with Robert Glasscock.